Oh, EEGs. That would be a good way to yeah. hmm. to do that. And they weren't like implanted. They were just like little caps for the dolphins. Dolphins. Or would you call it EEG? Oh my God. Cut Ooh. that out. All right. This, this, <laughs> this is not this okay. This podcast is over. <laughs> done. And we're done. <laughs> that was a good one. And I wasn't even... Welcome to Cinema Science, a podcast in which we interview professors, professionals, and graduate students using pop culture references as a talking point. We'll discuss the science behind your favorite movies, games, and TV shows. Each episode will feature a new topic and a guest who will answer questions from you guys, our wonderful listeners whom we love very, very much. I'm Heidi, and as always, I'm here with Anne. Hello there. How are you doing today, Anne? Doing all right. Yeah? <laughs> so I'm pretty cheerful today. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, today we have a very special guest. Her name is Danielle Chiangrasso. Oh, Heidi, no. I've known I don't, you for five years. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Chiangrasso. Oh. Less special Jean now. Grasso. Chiangrasso. <laughs> Close. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Danielle. <laughs> now that the listeners know who you are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, hey, everyone. Uh, my name's Danielle. Um, I'm, a, I'm a graduate student um, at the University of Utah. And I'm studying genetic Parkinson's disease and how one that how one particular genetic mutation causes cognitive impairments, neurochemical impairments, and motor impairments. Mm. Cool. Well, you're not here to talk about any of that today. Um, <laughs> you're actually here because you're our resident expert on the world's greatest movie, Lucy. Of course. <laughs> so, Lucy, um, I know you're an expert in it, Danielle, but Heidi has not had the pleasure of seeing it. I have not. Mm. So, so can you spoil it for me, please? It was just a wonderful... We just watched it last week, I think, so uh-huh. it's like fresh in our minds, just the greatest two hours. And we're still jealous of Lucy. <laughs> I actually got a migraine after watching oh, it. Oh, did you so, really? Like, viewers, if you're on the fence about watching this movie or not, <laughs> just be, have the migraine meds ready, I guess. Your brain, your brain was inspired by the movie, right? And it was trying to unlock itself. I was itself. thinking so hard. <laughs> <laughs> it was like... Shut it down. It was, it was down actually everything. me and controlling your mind, what? As, as you'll find that Lucy does. Yeah. Oh my so gosh. Okay. I guess to tell you a little bit yeah. about the movie. Please tell me. Lucy, a.k.a. Scarlett Johansson, mm-hmm. um, is living abroad. She's just like doing, living the life. Having, I think she's you know, going the, to school. The way you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> partying it up. But basically she gets turned into a drug mule by these oh. Asian drug lords i don't know actually what their job description is. they don't even know what (laughs) drug they have yeah (laughs) they don't even know it's a brand new synthetic drug called cph4 that actually is supposed to be like the same chemicals produced by pregnant mothers to give babies the energy they need to make a brain and other like bones yeah to promote bone growth yeah which so she should have just gotten a lot of bones yeah instead (laughs) do they make her a drug meal by injecting her with this or so there are these packets and they're so she has like 
three massive packets and they knock her out and they put them in her stomach and they <gasps> sew her up and she wakes <gasps> up and she's like, I feel different. And yeah, you've got a giant <laughs> thing in your stomach. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, guess what? Now you have to go to the U.S. and deliver these drugs or we'll kill your whole family. And she's like, oh no, that's bad. And yeah, that would be pretty bad. <laughs> so I think she was just, I don't know why. She was, she was imprisoned. Yeah. Yeah. So she was like made one of the bad guys mad at her. And he kicked her really hard in the stomach. Oh, right, where they put their fantastic drugs? Yeah. Which is the first rule. Is don't kick. Don't (laughs) don't kick your drug meals. Yeah. Yeah. So then the drugs basically start pouring out of the packet (gasps) into her bloodstream. (gasps) Lots of cool action of, like, these blue particles, like, exploding inside of her. (laughs) And... So the premise of the whole movie is humans only use 10% of their brain. Dun, dun, dun. But Lucy now uses more than 10%. So does she immediately start using more than 10%? Does she go immediately to 100% or is there like a gradual increase? Yeah, a gradual increase. And that's kind of the whole plot. But at first she kind of travels up the wall while while she's having this kind of electrical... Yeah, like gravity stops being relevant because of this blue magic drug that's getting into her. Yeah, yeah, they never really explain that. They also, I mean, she could have just gotten an infection. What if she was just infected with a super (laughs) bacteria? (laughs) Which would probably happen. It would overwhelm her system and then the movie would be over. There's no way that was a like sanitary surgery. (laughs) Like they did not sanitize those packets before they put them in. I'm assuming. And also a big like two pound packet like that's not going to fit into Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, tiny little. (laughs) You don't got a lot of room to work with there. (laughs) Yeah, they say that though, don't they? They're like... So they say something about how like she'll look fine, or they what? make some little flippant comment. I forget what it was, but she escapes. She beats up the guy who kicked her with oh. her super strength. Escapes, right? And then is just using more of her brain. Yeah. And then she, through this, I guess she becomes aware of the world's leading professor on. Yeah. How does the she? Brain. Hmm. Interesting. I, yeah. It sounds like the most unbelievable thing in this movie so far is the fact that she got. To email a world-renowned <laughs> professor and got him to respond. Well, I think <laughs> she like cuts into his like hotel rooms, oh, like yeah. electrical, like Skype and phone and like mm-hmm. everything. So. That's, that's the way to contact your professors. Yeah, Just like considering grad school, you have to take <laughs> yeah. over their TV and all their tablets, and then yeah. they'll finally listen to you. <laughs> but she's like, "Hey, Morgan Freeman, you're the expert on." hypothesizing what would happen if we could use more than 10% of your brain, guess what? I'm using more than 10% of my brain. He's like, oh my God, that was just a hypothesis. And so what are her other like abilities when she goes beyond 10%? Okay, yes. So uh, I actually took notes throughout the movie because it was a lot to tr- keep yeah. track of. So actually, in the beginning of the movie, Lucy is at 1%. Um, of 1%? her brain capacity, yeah. So, so I guess she's not doing very capacity. well in school. Yeah, so she's um, already. It's all that partying. You know? Yeah, exactly. She was partying the night before, oh. and, you know, mid thirties. I don't know what she's doing, but um, <laughs> she said she was in school too. I'm like, you are too old to be. I know, like, right? Maybe you went back to school. Maybe she hey, went back I'm thirty this like, year. <laughs> no, she was. She and was playing a much younger person. Oh, that's beyond. I that for the this <laughs> So yeah, Lucy starts out with one percent of her brain. Um, capacity using that Um, and so after the drugs kind of explode in her she enhances to 20% um, which enables her to 
to access and control her own body, you know, which is kind of in line with a brain-enhancing drug. Um, mm. But so she has supersonic hearing. Um, mm-hmm. She says she feels everything, um, oh, not yeah. everything in her, not only things in her immediate sensory environment, but also from the past. So she felt what braces felt like, what? which is a memory I want to forget. Yes. Petting a cat from the past, which is memories oh. I always want to have. Um, <laughs> and um, so that's a 20%. Uh, and the movie kind of pans through and marks when she's at these percentages. Next, she goes up to 30%, which Anne and I thought was really funny. The only thing she did <laughs> during that time was control a dog at the airport. Oh, yeah. that, that sounds was like funny. Anne's dream. I would get up to 30% and be like, I'm good here. Yeah. <laughs> like, the dog, I think it implied it was like a drug dog, and she was trying to go through the airport. And I didn't oh. mention this earlier. Not all of the drugs from like what were in her stomach go into her so some of it goes into her and then she goes and she like forces these surgeons to take out the rest of it so she doesn't I don't know explode like she wants them out of her so she only had that first like giant dose basically but yeah the dog is like going towards her like I smell drugs and she's like back off dog and then the dog gets scared of her so (laughs) I guess she can control dogs so yeah that's 30 percent yeah it's a good milestone for brain power apparently so Um, how how is she measuring the different percentages of brain usage or is it just the movie informing it is just the movie informing us oh Okay. So, which makes it, it's probably Morgan Freeman again. That's true. I'm going through this. But yeah, the story's not over. She then goes to 40% where she starts to control other people. Mm -hmm. So she reads people's minds. She kind of controls their actions and everything. And she, her roommate's blabbing about something. And then she actually says the same thing as she's saying it. Um, It kind of talks over her. Which That's time. rude. I know, right? You gotta listen. <laughs> she turns more and more into a jerk as the movie goes. Oh, I think it's yeah. supposed to be her, when she accesses more of her mind, she becomes less human yeah. or something, which, like, I could not have mm-hmm. rolled my eyes more at this movie, but <laughs> yeah, that right. was just her as a person. For me, was the biggest problem. <laughs> I know, right? But she's very, like, cold, and she's, like, says everything very like monotone kind of like a computer sort of I think because she's losing touch with what it means to be a human now that she has so many powers and knowledge like you know trivial things are no longer like everything's trivial to her now that she has this newfound Mm -hmm. capacity she also she also kind of takes along a boy toy from the FBI just to just to remind her, it was the says, world's of, laziest love story. I know. She just kissed him and said, "As a reminder," and he was like, "All right, you can control things with your mind. I'm in for it." Yeah. <laughs> but also, if you have all that knowledge, you should know you can't just kiss people these days, Scarlett Johansson. That's yeah, true. Right? Like it's the 2000, whenever this movie came out. <laughs> but yeah, it was like the dumbest little side plot, <laughs> and he was like you have no use for me. And she's like, it's to remind me what it's like to be human. And, and that was it. No more kissing. And he was no like, okay, I guess. Like, I have- <laughs> <laughs> He's like, but you're Scarlett Johansson. I mean, yeah, who wouldn't so buy that? He's like along for the ride for no reason, basically. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're still working at 40%. All right. She then starts to control matter. Whoa. Um, just like one guy has her at gunpoint. I think it is her FBI love. Um, and she the just betrayal. empties. I know, right? Oh, my God. That's how she hooked him. She <laughs> emptied the bullets from his gun. And, Whoa. You know, that's actually how I met uh, my boyfriend. Um, and it's turned out to be very successful. She also controls electronics, like TVs. That's how she kind of 
talks to Morgan Freeman. She also, this was a pretty cool thing, she can see, I guess, frequency, radio frequency, electrical frequencies, mm. and sees people's phone calls. So they're all kind of shown as little lines in front of her that just she can have pop up. Like the and Matrix? Kind of, so yeah. Like, yeah. And she just sifts through them and then selects the one she wants to listen into, oh. which would be great, you know, keep tabs on people. <laughs> um, at, at this point, she says she doesn't feel pain, fear, or desire. So she's starting to lose her humanity. Oh. And then she, she goes on to a 60% and uh, she starts making invisible barriers. Um, kind of just stopping people from moving. So she's, Whoa. you know, controlling matter, but now this is like on the air particle level. Oh, yeah. So, and it's also a skill that she should have used because at the end they're like yeah, there's taken over by the drug lord and his army. Spoiler alert. She could have just, oh, sorry. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Right? <laughs> You're allowed to have spoilers yeah. on this podcast. <laughs> should have yeah. just done that. Yeah. So wait, so there, oh, I was just going to say it's, becomes more and more like as she gets smarter danielle and i when we were watching this movie we we're like why didn't you just do this like mm-hmm. it's, there are just there are easier ways to solve the problems that she was having mm-hmm. <laughs> and as she gets smarter her problem solving seems oh exactly. yeah so. no you know what i think it is she was so smart that she knew that every story had to have an antagonist oh so she's like i'm just gonna keep these guys let them come in and yeah how to have boyfriend. some Okay. For the viewers. For the viewers. Uh, that's so polite. Well, I think it got like a very bad rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she was thinking about that. <laughs> All right. And so then we get into her final transition. She kind of speeds up um, between 70 to 100% of her brain. So at 70%, um, electricity starts to surge through her. At Whoa. this point, she's met up with. Morgan Freeman and his kind of band of other world-renowned scientists. And um, her goal is to pretty much give them all of the information about the universe that she now has. Oh, my you know, God. No big deal. Um, <laughs> also, on. like, destroying every single grad student's thesis. I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Completely scooping their papers. Yeah, all of so the papers. <laughs> Everyone scoop simultaneously. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so she's just, she's hanging out. She starts doing her thing. She's got the electricity. She sprouts these kind of like mechanical roots that start to search for energy and matter. And she what? starts building this computer that can house all of this information. One, then she hits 90%. Um, she then can travel through space and time, Whoa. which would be awesome. She yes. can kind of just scroll through it. Yeah. Um, like you'd like scroll through an iPhone or something. Just oh, yeah. like her different apps. Going. Yeah, yeah. Her Egypt app. Or like all the photos you have. Swiping <laughs> yeah. left during the Great Depression. Yeah. Going past that one. <laughs> going to something cooler. But and then so she finally ends up, and this was the part we found funny. Um, she ends up to see Lucy, which was actually one of the first. You know this. You're yeah. you're an anthropology. Shh, don't tell anyone. I don't want them to be able to identify me. <laughs> <laughs> She's one of the first. I don't know. It's one of the precursor. first full skeletons that they found of early hominids. There, there we go. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. And yeah, and Anne had a really good point. And they're like, wait a minute, she's not the first hominid. Yeah. It's just the first skeleton they found. Mm. Mm. And so it just happens also to be named Lucy. And so <laughs> they touch fingers, and then she kind of snaps back into this time. Um, she's at 99%. The screen pans to a bunch of jellyfish. Um, 
Oh yeah, I like that. Which is part. interesting because they don't I have love a brains. good jellyfish scene. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, and then it shows all of her cells actually combining into one. And once you Whoa. have this one central cell, it then becomes overlaid with an image of the entire cosmos. Um, and then at this point, uh, she says that I am everywhere. So end goal, she has become everything. And she actually becomes a USB drive. Yeah, because um, if you're going to pass on all the information in the world, what you need is a 32 gig yeah, <laughs> USB drive. Which I think is the real feat of the movie, not yeah. you know obtaining 100% of your brain, but <laughs> having all of that storage. Right? Certainly that does not exist. I know. Present That's a whole other movie in and of itself. <laughs> Building That's Lucy Part 2. Yeah, information storage is like a whole yeah. area of research I in itself. itself. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Also, we used to have three and a half floppy A discs. Those are gone. Eventually, mm. USBs are going to be gone, too. Yeah, so know, she's going right? to expire. Someone's going to exactly. find this and be like, ah, oh, damn, I don't have an adapter. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> the key to the universe. Yeah. Which, how do we get into this USB? <laughs> And if someone, I feel like that's not going to age well. Like, you know, like 20 years from now, they're going to be like, she turned into, like, even now we're like a USB, but that'd be like the equivalent of someone, she turned into a floppy disk. (laughs) Yeah, nowadays a lot of kids don't know what the save button is referencing in, like, when you're using your Microsoft products. no. What is that? Unlike my word. Yeah, they don't realize that that's what people used to use to save data on. (laughs) She's going to expire. Not so smart after all. (laughs) Right, Lucy? So, yeah, and that's kind of how it ends. They leave, she leaves behind all of her information, and I guess the world is better for it. I don't know. You know, another thing she says is how, like, death has no meaning or something Mm -hmm. at one point, and she's with the guy who's, like, clearly mortal, and he's like, yeah, well, speak for yourself, Yeah. Like, she just, that's how she lives beyond her own death, I guess, is by passing on all the knowledge. Oh. Yeah. And that, and that actually ties back to one of the things Morgan Freeman said in his uh, presentation, where he said, the purpose of existence is knowledge and learning handed down over time. And so when cells or organisms are faced, I guess, with trying to exist and surviving, they can either become try to become immortal or to reproduce mm. <laughs> and to pass it down. Okay, so so she's passing it down through the USB. Yeah, and that's the meaning of life oh. instead of loving and being human. Hmm. And yeah, I guess things. so. But Asking if it's okay before you kiss people. Yeah, <laughs> taking him out, taking out to dinner first, <laughs> right? Yeah. Scarlett Johansson is like the center of so many controversies nowadays. Like, <laughs> she just needs to stop. Yeah. <laughs> Morgan Freeman. There's a part in the movie I particularly like, though. He is giving a lecture to a massive lecture hall. There's all these people, like other professors. It looks like he's a professor. Students as well, and they're all taking notes. And he's well into this presentation about mm-hmm. what would happen at 20%, what would happen about higher percents. And then someone asks, uh, like, do you have any proof of this? And then he's like, no, this is all speculation and hypotheses <laughs> at this point. And they're like, they like are like, that's fine. Oh, great. Like, I mean, you can't just give a whole talk on no. things you think about, even if you are Morgan Freeman and at have the, like the best voice. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, at the very least, you could probably computationally model what he's yeah. talking or about. Or preface. Mm-hmm. Like someone had a straight up ask. Yeah. Like, yeah. Is this real? And he's like, I don't know, guys. <laughs> oh, no. Guys. Like the girl writing notes is like, 
I just been writing notes yeah. for an hour. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, you have gonna, no proof of this. This is gonna be on the test. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, like, maybe at least tell people, like, give people some frame of reference before you start just talking with authority. Is yeah. Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's your lesson of the day. <laughs> yes, he has a very trustworthy voice. He does. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's a, it's a gift and a curse. Yeah. So I know you're listening, Morgan. Yeah, so it's it's a big responsibility. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of the movie. That's a wild ride. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a full thing. A lot to take in. Yeah. <laughs> Hence my migraine by the end of it. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I'm about to get a migraine. My brain was like, "You're learning too much." <laughs> <laughs> She's unlocking the secrets She's for you. She's getting too close. Yeah. <laughs> we can't too let this happen. To <laughs> but all right. Well. Maybe we should address some of the things we talked about. Yeah, definitely. Luckily, we have our expert, Danielle, here to explain these things to us. So first things first, Danielle, do we only use 10% of our brains? I think that should be an adequate response. (laughs) Um, Definitely not. Uh, This this is a myth, and it's a very commonly believed myth. Um, It's interesting. The Harris Initiative back in 2013 did a survey done on Americans 18 and older, mm. and 65% of the population believed this myth. Wow, and, really? And it's also important <laughs> to note that Lucy was released a year later, so uh, God only knows oh, how so, many people so now maybe, believe it. Wow. Probably even more. 65% think we only use 10% of our brain. 10%. Yeah. No, we don't use 10% of our brain. Actually, the only 10% um, I guess in this scenario is that we only know 10% about the brain. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Kind of turn it back on. I and like that. A little bit of preaching, but um, <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's a really um, interesting myth. And I think kind of a way to tackle it is even before we get into this kind of higher level cognitive processes, uh, there are some first basic things that we need to consider with it. So the, the first thing is, we need to think about the brain as an organ. So mm-hmm. the brain is about 3% of the body's total weight, but it uses 20% of the body's glucose or energy stores. Wow. So if all of that glucose was used for only 10% mm. of the brain, that was pretty poorly designed because yeah. if we exceed that, there's no way we can take in that much glucose. Right. Um, and so also think about all the resources needed to maintain a healthy organ. Mm-hmm. So you have metabolic needs, nutrition needs, blood supply, and again, glucose. So mm-hmm. if we're only using 10% of our brain, mm-hmm. why are we going to maintain the rest of it? It's yeah. super costly. Yeah. And so, and another uh, kind of thing to think about is evolution and how our brains evolved. So our brains have evolved to have a really high amount, a lot of surface area. And so that's actually why the outer surface of our brain has that kind of bumpy, crinkly-like appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, animals that are kind of lower on the sentience chain, like rats and unfortunately cats, they have smooth brains. <laughs> um, so this, um, this essentially is correlated with higher intelligence. Um, and it's also very evolutionarily expensive. It takes a lot um, to kind of, I guess, support this high surface Mm-hmm. area of mm-hmm. the brain and yeah. so why would we go through all of this effort in evolution to do that that makes a lot of sense they know they never really talk about that in the movie either they mm-hmm. say we use 10 percent of the brain but the obvious other side of the question is well what's the other 90 percent for exactly yeah. and the real life answer is we are using our full capacity really yeah mm-hmm. so that makes a lot of sense i guess i was just wondering this is 
you said 65%. Like, I've heard other people ask me this question. Like, why, where did this myth even come from? If it's not true, how did everyone kind of agree on, yes, this is how much of our brain we use? Yeah, so um, actually a really good article um, that kind of covers this is uh, published in Scientific American by Dr. Barry Bearstein. He's um, from the Brain Behavior Lab at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver. And I really encourage um, anyone who's interested to read this because he did all of the heavy lifting. And the short answer is, we don't know where this myth came from. Um, so kind of digging into it, he found the first records of it, kind of tracing back to William James, who is a really predominant American psychologist back in the early 20th century. And he quotes, the average person rarely achieves but a small portion of his or her potential. So no percentage mentioned, but rather undeveloped potential. Mm. Then we move forward to the 1920s, and there's this whole self-help movement going on that's you know really heavily mm. advertised and trying to get people to buy these products. Yeah. And then <laughs> they just came up with the 10% um, figure. And this was actually written in the foreword to the famous book, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Oh, so, so this 10% figure is in reference to the brain. This is like the yeah. first... 10% of our potential. I see. And then we, hmm. we hop on over to the 1970s, and psychologist Georgi Lazanov proposed the teaching method of suggestopedia. Kind of, <laughs> I, I got lost there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think that's in the <laughs> current <laughs> curriculum. Yeah, what, what is suggestopedia? Um, that's a good question, and I suggest <laughs> that you look into it. Oh, okay. Um, but he, he says, we might be using only 5 to 10% of our mental capacity. And I think this is a really interesting thing, because there's this, this divergence between saying we're using this percentage of our mental capacity mm -hmm. and this percentage of our brain. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, Lucy, in that movie, they refer to only using 10% of our mental capacity. I but see. it's very common that this gets generalized to mm -hmm. the brain. And that's, you know, people who are asking me this question aren't saying, do we use 10% of our capacity? Yeah. Right. I do they feel like the movie the was sort of careful in that way. Mm -hmm. Like, they make a lot of assumptions in other kind of ways, but they don't ever really specifically say the brain. They say capacity, <laughs> mental capacity. Cortical compa capacity, yeah. which is like, something But else. the way people interpret it is the brain. Yeah, mm -hmm. no one's going to No one's like, that. oh, that's a fine you know, <laughs> yeah. line between mental capacity and, there are and movie brain. Notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, only if you take notes like I did. I was going to say, <laughs> most people weren't <laughs> furiously scribbling through the whole movie. <laughs> but, yeah, and, and Hollywood has been no help. Um, this myth has kind of resurfaced several times. Um, it came about in the 1996 film Phenomenon and 2011 in Limitless. Um, and who knows what else yeah. will come out. But yeah, and so now it's kind of just well established. Some people uh, cite Einstein for saying that. Oh, and poor Einstein. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> So not only are they wrong about the 10%, they're also wrong about whose <laughs> authority it is, who said that in the first place. From now on, if oh I want to no. justify something I say, I'm just going to say Einstein supported me. I feel I like people do about. that online. They yes. like say funny things, and then they say it was Einstein, <laughs> or like, he gets a bad rep. <laughs> so it seems like this idea kind of just came about, but it also seems like it could be a potentially testable idea. Can we just talk a little bit about the scientific method? Because you guys mentioned that, you know, Morgan Freeman gives that presentation 
and someone just flat out asks him, you know, is this supported? And he says, eh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what would you have to do to go about testing this? Like the scientific method, what exactly is that? Can you go into that a little bit? Mm-hmm. The scientific method, as we all kind of know and love from learning it in elementary school, um, first it starts off by asking a question. So the question would be, um, how much of our brain's capacity are we using? Um, The next thing is to do background research on that. See what's um, in the literature already. And so it gives you more of um, an informed um, approach to this. From that, you then develop a hypothesis. So if you notice, um, this is kind of like a like an hourglass shape, you first start off very broad, you use the research to develop a specific hypothesis, um, and then you design experiments that test your hypothesis, uh, you collect that data, analyze your results, and then draw conclusions that go back out to that bigger picture. Um, so it's a very nice and tight um, way for us to kind of um, systematically test the world around us. Hmm. Um, and it's also very nice to have um, because it, you know, keeps everyone in check. Mm. And it, because if we didn't have a way of testing our hypotheses, if everyone was just kind of walking around talking like Morgan Freeman does, yeah. then, then everyone's opinion would be regarded as a fact and we'd have a lot of conflicting facts. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so we'd never, you know, make any progress. And it's actually funny, um, one, of, uh, the prof- one of a professor of mine um, in college, a biology professor, um, said something that has always kind of stuck with me. Um, she said that all research contributes to our collective pool of knowledge, and the scientific method, as well as peer review process, keeps people from peeing in that pool, <laughs> which, is, nice. which is something to live by. Um, and again, this is so important because um, if there wasn't a way to kind of test how we think about the world and also check each other and make sure you know what we're seeing is as as accurate of a description as we can. Uh, the findings from research shape our medical practice, uh, the design of machines, how we understand and treat disease. So we can't just have anything, yeah, influencing that and getting into it. In the movie, Lucy gets all these different powers, and we've already talked about you know the ten percent things not true. So when you go from She's, it's not like a normal person can go from 10 to 20% of their brain capacity because they're already mm-hmm. using more than that. But the powers that she gets, things like being able to scare dogs. and <laughs> <laughs> Again, that's her number one thing. And remember that's my go-to. <laughs> like, are these things the human brain can do? Like, mm-hmm. how... Or is this just kind of a movie's depiction of something they thought would look cool? But that is a really good point. Um, I think... Uh, when she first starts out with her increased powers, I think that is the most accurate the film could possibly be. Um, Then as she enhances, it kind of um, gets pretty hard to believe. And so kind of just walking through that, first she starts off, her powers are enhanced senses. So again, she feels everything, she can hear more, which is really in line with taking a brain-enhancing drug. Um, and so if you want, want to really in, increase that ability, um, you're increasing things that are already there, abilities that we already have. Mm-hmm. So to see and to hear and everything like that. Um, and some drugs also kind of, you know, increase um, what we feel and what we taste. And so, all right, I could buy that. Maybe not the supersonic hearing, but mm-hmm. I, I get the premise there. But then she, as she gets higher and higher up, she starts developing um, abilities 
that we can't even do. And so it's not really a brain enhancing effect because it's not enhancing mm. anything mm-hmm. we have. So we can't okay. control matter. Mm. And, and an interesting way to think about this is that uh, the brain doesn't act alone. It gets information from all these different sensory receptors throughout the body, decides what to do with it, and then acts you know, throughout action, throughout speaking and writing. And so that's kind of our equipment that we have in order to affect the world. Mm-hmm. And so we also don't have that equipment to telekinetically change things and influence people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of another way to work backwards from that. Mm. Uh, yeah, so. that makes a lot of sense. So I guess just sort of speaking on the scientific method, how do we actually then study brain capacity in humans? How is it actually done besides listening to Morgan Freeman? Yeah. conjecture <laughs> and hypotheses. And seeing how many dogs you can Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> And changing her dissertation. Just one speak. dog at a time. One <laughs> dog at a time. Um, yeah, and so there are actually a lot of ways to look at this. Um, and a lot of technical technological advances. Um, so the first one is EEG, um, which is it's a pretty commonly known technique. It's an electroencephalogram. And so essentially these are used to measure electric, electrical activity of the brain. Um, and this is really tied to the activity of our neurons because um, neuronal communication is largely based on electricity or kind of the movement of ions. Hmm. And so you'll actually have this cap that's put on you and it's lined with all of these electrodes and I've actually had this done to me and it is not a fun weekend activity (laughs) your scalp is wet it's tight and messes up your hair don't do that before a date Um, ruins your hair for the day I know right Um, and these caps can have anywhere from four to four to 256 electrodes. And this is really important because they kind of surround or kind of line the outside or the, I guess the top half of your skull. And so this is where the majority of your cerebral cortex is, which is again, um, if you want to think about cognitive capacity, it's going to be housed there. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, so you uh, read the electrical changes that occur in the brain. And also you can tell what regions this electrical activity is. And since we know anatomically pretty well what areas of the brain are responsible to what, you can kind of um, put people in a cognitive task and at the same time measure this electrical activity Mm. and kind of pair them together. So it's a pretty tight um, measure. And uh, and so another one along the same line um, is fMRI, so functional magnetic resonance imaging. Um, So it's essentially like the MRI scans that you see um, of different body parts, but this one is a functional assessment of a brain. And so essentially it uh, measures the changes in blood flow, and this technique is um, used because cerebral blood flow and the activity of neurons are tightly coupled, so they they occur very uh, within the same mm-hmm. time frame. Okay. And so pretty much when an area of the brain is in use, that area of the brain receives a lot of blood flow. And so, again, you can have people in the scanners. And, again, this is something else I was a part of. They, I was a research intern, and they just used us yeah. as subjects <laughs> all like the time. It. I did all this for free. Um, <laughs> and a lot of studies done on yeah, you, A lot of studies. <laughs> a little yeah. suspiciously and, high and numbers. I know. 
They should be lucky because I use 100% of my brain. Oh, I'm biasing the sample. No, were you a control or were you? It's <laughs> <laughs> another important part of the scientific method. That is, is another important nor- controls, but <laughs> you may have been the experimental I, group. <laughs> you know, I may have known, but I was blinded yeah. as a patient should be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well. So we never know. Hmm. But yeah, so this this it can be um, again paired with tasks that you do. And you can see the different changes in brain activity. And really interestingly enough, this is, again, a really um, widely used technique in the fields of psychology and neuroscience. And it actually was the technique that was used to find um, and pretty much define this default mode network that we have. And so essentially, that is this network of different brain regions that are working when we're in our resting state. And Mm -hmm. so kind of just when we're walking to work, when we're daydreaming, and all of these things. And so it actually requires a lot of different brain areas. So it's kind of a testament to saying, hey, we don't use 10% of our brain. We're mm-hmm. using a lot of it when we're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So it's you know, brain regions involved in attention, in memory, in perception, in thinking about ourselves, thinking about the past, thinking about the future. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a pretty robust network in the brain and then once we get something that really demands our attention we switch to the task positive network um, so uh, a bit of a tangent but fmri is is very useful in that showing that we're using the majority of our brain mm-hmm. okay yeah all the time um, and, and another another way to learn about this is through lesions um, we don't give lesions to people <laughs> that's we don't we with epilepsy patients well, not like to experimentally I test. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Heidi. <laughs> what? Heidi's researching. What is Heidi doing? <laughs> Heidi, what have you been doing? Oh, <laughs> drinking that pool water. <laughs> <laughs> pool water. <laughs> drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, but so we've actually learned a lot about um, what particular um, areas of the brain are used for whatever functions they what particular areas of the brain are responsible for certain functions? Um, and we've learned this through human patients that have brain damage. So just historically, there are a lot of um, examples of this. So Phineas Gage was a railroad worker who was kind of pounding in um, explosives with a metal rod <laughs> um, to build the railroad. Um, which was my alternative to grad school. Uh. Um, And essentially it exploded and it caused the spike to go through um, his skull, go through his prefrontal cortex, and he actually survived this. Mm -hmm. Um, And essentially it caused a robust change in his personality. So Hmm. he was a really amiable, nice guy, and then he started cursing at people, kind of cheated on his wife, did a lot of bad things. Sounds like he was waiting for an excuse. (laughs) Like, hey guys, sorry. (laughs) Go and go. Brain stuff again. Oh no. (laughs) It sounds like he was giving a free pass. (laughs) I told him, it's my brain. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no. And so that tells us prefrontal cortex is, is involved in a lot of personality things. And there are a lot of examples on that. You can kind of go on and on about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so in the movie, um, you guys mentioned this drug, um, CPH4. Mm-hmm. Does this drug actually exist? No. Oh. You sound a little disappointed, Heidi. I am. <laughs> That's <laughs> the most commonly asked question when you look up CPH4. Uh-huh. And it's interesting. I saw the yeah. first response, it showed this kind of crystal structure or this um, kind of like 
layout of all the proteins in this um, uh-huh. drug. And I was like, oh, that's that this exists. And I clicked on it and it was actually a link to Lucy. And oh. it was of this fake thing. So they got me for a second. I was oh. kind of offended. I was like, like getting your credit card out. Like, like all right, yeah, who's, check your who's sources. Who's going to make that? Like, <laughs> someone went through the trouble to design this kind of protein model. But um, yeah, you and so it took, it, it took some digging. I actually, um, so first I found some excerpts from an interview with the director of Lucy, Luke Besson. Um, and I think uh, to best kind of summarize what he says, I'm actually going to quote him. Uh, he says, it's totally real. It's it's not a real name. Uh, CPH4 is a name that I invented, but it's a molecule that the pregnant woman is making um, after six weeks of pregnancy in very, very tiny quantities. But it's totally real, and it's true that the power of this product for a baby is the power of an atomic bomb. It's real, totally real. So it's not a drug. Um, it's a natural molecule that pregnant women use, and uh, sounds like He's speaking like someone very familiar in office right now. <laughs> um, but uh, he doesn't give any citations to what the actual name is, which I was yeah. curious about. Um, if he's saying this is a natural molecule, which means that people have probably tried studying it. Exactly. There would be something. And I'm like, the power of an atomic bomb. <laughs> like, I'm okay, guy. Yeah, <laughs> Do you really know what the... <laughs> right? And, and they say in the movie, this is used to help with the development of bones in children. Mm-hmm. So yeah, again, like she sh- would have just gotten more bones. More bones, like, more babies. She just would be immune to osteoporosis. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's no plot at all. We already know she's going to age well. Yeah, <laughs> Can you, the world's most boring movie would just be her <laughs> a cure like, for osteoporosis. Time she should have broken her arm and didn't. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson trips and is okay. People would watch it though. People would actually. Mm-hmm. Actually, I would watch that. That sounds interesting. <laughs> but yeah, and so and. And then, you know, this I this kind of lit a spark under me because I was like, I want to find out what this pregnancy mm-hmm. hormone is. Yeah. So just doing a, a search of CPH4 in Google Scholar, first of all, nothing really pops up. And so you have to really dig for it. Um, but I found one paper on it, um, which they just refer to it as CPH, again, which is the closest thing to it. It is, and I'm going to say this three times fast, 6 carboxy tetra hydro hydropterin synthetase mm. oh, and okay. uh, this is an enzyme that is uh, used in bacteria and eukaryotes oh so not little babies nope 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 not okay. at all but are these bacteria and eukaryotes like super intelligent using 100 percent of their brain yeah are yeah. they pregnant <laughs> with human babies that need they bones pro- yeah, they probably, yeah if anything bacteria don't need bones bacteria do not have bones yeah, <laughs> terrifying like, mental picture of that Ew, I'm not gonna sleep tonight <laughs> yeah so this is not a real drug people can just buy and no have. thank god gosh and also would you want to take this drug because she first of all has to halfway through the movie she has to kind of snarf down like a whole package of it just mm-hmm. to keep from withdrawing and to keep mm. her cells that have now divided in like into millions and billions of extra cells on top of the cells she already had yeah. just to keep them alive. Okay, there's a word for unbridled cell division which she does have and it's called cancer. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> they never touch on that either. Oh, that's a really good like, point. Yeah. They do show her cells they start dividing super quickly though but mm-hmm. more cells doesn't necessarily mean a good thing yeah mm-hmm. but i and mean then it, all of her cell, cells come back into one at the end yeah which she goes back oh. to a bacteria which, oh, maybe oh, so she oh. <laughs> there no. we go 
And also, I guess all her information goes into the USB. What happens to the one cell? It it's actually it's overlaid with Cosmos oh, in the right, universe, the so she becomes everything. Oh, so okay. we're all that's just right, living right. in Scarlett Johansson's cell. Oh, that's uh, terrifying! Gosh. I don't like that thought. Right. Secrets Neil deGrasse Tyson is keeping. <laughs> <in the place. laughs> yeah, damn it, Neil. Neil's out of a job. <laughs> Uh, so we also have some questions from Twitter Yay. from one of our wonderful listeners. So at Varklin actually sent us quite a few really good questions. So are there proven methods of brain enhancement? I'm thinking of mindfulness meditation as a possibility, but I would like to know if I had been misled or if there are other methods. Mm-hmm. So I guess the first thing when I think about brain enhancement, um, I think about kind of the, the common drugs that enhance certain functions of the brain. So you know, Adderall increases focus and attention, so kind of drugs along those lines. But I think the meditation and the mindfulness kind of um, field is a really, really interesting um, up-and-coming area of study. Um, And I actually um, will refer them to, again, another Scientific Scientific American article um, of Tom Ireland. So this was published in 2014. Um, And this actually, I I really like these articles because they reference the original study. Mm. Um, And so essentially there was a recent um, meditation study done at the University of Pittsburgh and again using MRI scans. So they uh, scanned um, people after an eight-week course of mindfulness practice and they found that the amygdala or the brain's fight-or-flight center actually appears to shrink. Whereas um, the prefrontal cortex, again, which is um, involved in kind of higher order cognition and awareness, concentration, becomes thicker. Mm -hmm. And in addition, they found that the connectivity between these regions, how these regions are working together, Mm. um, also changes. And so essentially the the amygdala's influence on the rest of the brain becomes weaker, while the connections between areas um, associated, again, with these prefrontal uh, cortices become stronger. So it's, again, this shift kind of away from reacting quickly to something, fight or flight, and kind Mm -hmm. of having a more mindful, slowed down um, reaction. And uh, interestingly, this, um, and I'm I'm quoting the article here, they say the scale of these changes correlate with the number of hours of meditation practice a person has done. And so I think this is a, a pretty promising study Hmm. And um, definitely the start of, yeah. I guess, a new platform. Certainly yeah. more accessible than this pretend drug from bacteria. <laughs> oh, definitely. So, than mm. the baby bones. Yeah. <laughs> the baby bones. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have one last question from at Varklin, who, yeah, this is great. So it says, do I understand correctly that the trope of using 100% of the brain all at once happens in real life, the results usually being a seizure? Hmm. So that's interesting because in 100%, in the movie, she becomes a USB. But if this was actually real life, I guess <laughs> the question is what what would happen? Yeah, I think with increasing amounts of neural activity, you definitely have a lot of things going on and there would be negative repercussions. Um, but especially with um, grand mal seizures, um, my understanding is that there is essentially a spread of this abnormal electricity from the area in the brain where this kind of seizure or this different kind of strange electrical activity um, originates and it spreads to other regions of the brain. Hmm. And that's associated with kind of these really severe muscle contractions that you mm-hmm. see with seizures. Mm-hmm. But in, I think uh, a good way to think about um, 
epilepsy in general is that it is abnormal electrical activity um, instead of just a large amount of it. Okay. Um, so with this abnormal electrical activity, there's an, there becomes an imbalance between the excitatory and the inhibitory um, neurotransmission in the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there's actually, it results in more excitation. So mm-hmm. yes, okay. you do have more activation of the brain, but it's, it's more of this imbalance between mm. um, our brain not being able to inhibit it itself as well. Okay, hmm. that's interesting. Yeah, so you're basically saying mm-hmm. that like, you know, when our brain is providing information to itself, mm-hmm. like when neurons communicate, there's a certain like activity that they have going on, and if that becomes imbalanced, then their communication yeah. gets screwed up. Yeah, exactly. Oh, cool. Thank you for joining us today, Danielle. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you'd like to learn more about our guest's research or the topics that were covered in today's episode, check out our website at cinemasciencepodcast.com. You can find us collectively on Twitter at CinemaSciCast, and you can find Heidi at PandaBumHot. Anne doesn't have a Twitter, but her dog Hubble sure does. You can find him at Hubble Gibson. Our intro and outro music was composed by Kagan Breitenbach. You can find more information about him at our website, but also check out his personal website at kaganbreitenbach.com. The first season of Cinema Science was graciously funded by the University of Utah's Neuroscience Initiative. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Bye.